This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yak Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Yak Gadget offers all kinds of storage accessories, quick mount motor mounts, anchor systems, track mounted accessories, even paddles. Go to yakgadget.com and get your kayak decked out for your next trip out on the water. The 153 Bay Company, based in Troy, Ohio, make everything from plastics to custom painted hard baits. Hook them hard and hook them off. All of our baits are made to order and all of our hard baits are hand painted to order. So go to the153anglers.com to place your order today. Based in Santa Ana, California, Bioano Power provides the highest performance lithium-ion phosphate batteries for the marine market. These batteries are one quarter the weight of sealed lead acid batteries, provide over 2,000 to 3,000 charge cycles, and a 10 plus year service life. These batteries can be used for any deep cycle application, including running fish finders, trolling motors, live wells, and LED lights. For more information, visit bioanopower.com. That's B-I-O-E-N-N-O-P-O-W. WER.com or contact dealers nationwide. Welcome to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. This is the final cast segment with your hosts, Brad Hicks and Josh Eldridge, where we cast our final opinions on all products, good and bad. Welcome to the final cast. You're listening to the Pet. Uh, Final cast on the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brad. I'm Josh, aka Photon Blaster. <laughs> this is the nice. benefits of having a five-year-old and a three-year-old. <laughs> I love it. I was wondering what Photon Blaster meant, so now I know. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got we got a uh, awesome guest for you guys this episode. It's uh, Michael Teach. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing fine. You could just uh, you just call me Mike. All right, sounds good. So uh, let's start off the show by uh, letting letting the listeners know who you are and uh, what you do. Well, I, I, I fish for smallmouth bass, basically. Uh, I, uh, I'm also a writer. I write for the Boundary Waters Journal. Um, I, uh, 
I do volunteer work at the uh, Bethany Center in Piqua. I help people uh, eat. And uh, basically, I'm just right now waiting for the river to go down so I can go fishing again. Yeah, same, same here. <laughs> I tried getting out last week, and then I saw the levels were just blown out. I was like, man, this stinks. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah I got the itch. I got the itch, too. It's been uh, – I finally had a little bit of free time last weekend, and I was like, nope, it's not happening. But it is what it is, right? Yep. Lakes got ice on them. Rivers are flooded. It's no good. <laughs> Ponds are open. Oh, are they? Well, the one I fished at today was. Oh, okay. Nice. Did you catch anything today? I caught a largemouth on the first cast and then uh, nothing else after that. Uh, had one other one on. I couldn't tell what it what it was. It was it was so small it probably was just holding onto the back of the lure and I was using a Zulu or a Z-Man Chads and uh, it fell off at the uh, halfway end, so I never even got to see it. Could have been a crappie, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. it was a uh, the first fish, first cast uh, jinx. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, ah, this is either going to be great, spectacular, or awful, right? Yeah, you just never know. And the pond had a lot of weeds in it too. That all the grass carp are gone out of that pond, so they just mm. filled up really quick. It, that's the only reason I went there today is because it's still early. Here in a few more weeks, so you can't even throw a lure in there without it being covered in green moss. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, you mentioned the uh, Zulu rig, and I, I know Josh wanted to hit on this, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, well basically, it's, uh, it's a Z-Man Shad's uh, five-inch scented soft plastic jerk uh, jerk bait. It's uh, made out of elastic. Uh, they're also made by, well, they're sold by Strike King. They're called Z2s, but it's basically the same same exact lure. They're all made by Z-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, really very durable plastic. I can catch up to 100 smallmouth on one lure. You know, and you just don't hear that on, with soft plastics. And basically, once the nose and the back get worn down, I just put a little drop of uh, super glue on there, and I can get another, you know, 40 or 50 fish out of it. But yeah. basically, I, I use a, a, a small uh, Gamagatsu one-aught offset worm hook on it. A lot of people think it's too small, but it runs flat, flush with the uh, the lure the whole time. So it's practically invisible to the fish or to anybody with just the hook just riding onto its back. So it's it's weedless. And then mm-hmm. I put on about 10 inches of line leader. I use, I use a mono. I use 10-pound uh, Trilene XL. And then I tie it off to a quality uh, ball bearing uh, swivel. Uh, usually I use Spro swivels, but uh, it's best to have a good ball bearing swivel on there because of the line twist and also the swivel helps take the lure uh, below subsurface. And so that it's not riding up there. And it also alleviates those nasty line twists. Mm-hmm. So I that's basically you. the rig right there. Yeah, and it's kind of it's similar to it's like a single what is it? I think it's called a donkey rig where they use two two flukes like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, they'll call it a double Zulu rig or a donkey rig, but uh, okay, I only use one. It just it's, sometimes it just gets a little too messy messing around with two lures, and I seem to do just fine with one. Yeah, <laughs> I meant to try that. So like there was a hundred times last year that I'm like, I'm gonna throw it, I'm gonna throw it, and then. I ended up fishing lakes mainly and I was like, I, I, you know, I just kept kind of going off of what everybody said, but I've been meaning dying to try this lure because I got some good smallmouth spots that produce that I know got some good fish in it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. 
I'm I'm really into throwing weedless pr presentations a lot of times, and I've been reading for three years about you and this setup. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've you know been following you, Mike, and been laughing because of how many times somebody asked you about it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to ask this poor guy how to do this this rig. I'm just you've got so much information, you've given it to people. It's hilarious that you keep getting asked because it's like if you guys just follow Mike a little bit, he posts this link to how to build the, the rig at least like 50 times a year. So. Yeah. yeah. I have, I have pictures online. I just got tired of people, you know, asking me to send them pictures or whatever. I'd finally put it on a, a thread on BWCA.com. If you ever, if you Google Zulu rigging and go to BWCA.com, you will see a set of like seven step pictures that you can click on one by one and, and enlarge the pictures and uh, follow the, just the look of it. And it's, it's a very simple setup. Yeah. And I, I like, I like the fact that you added that, that swivel because that's my, one of my biggest gripes and throwing it, you know, weightless like that on spinning gear and all you end up doing is fighting line twists the whole time. So mm -hmm. that's a great addition to us, you know, a, a fairly simple, Simple rig, very weedless rig, a great presentation, especially for smallmouth fishing. Well, they, they love hitting that thing on the top water. When, you know, the first time I used it was back in 2006, and I didn't have any swivels with me. I didn't even know what I had, you know. I just pulled, you know, I watched Van Dam, Kevin Van Dam, slam some uh, big smallmouth using this lure. And so I'm like, you know, I threw a package of them. And, you know, I had four, you know, Zulus with me in my bag, and I took them up to uh, Quetico Provincial Park with me, and, and I decided one day, hey, I'm just going to give these things a shot and try to, you know, put one on a, uh, a one-aught worm hook and toss it out in the middle of this stream. And they just start slamming it right away. It was just yeah. crazy. So I was like, wow. So I stuck with it. But, the, but by the end of the trip, my line was just so twisted up and nasty. I'm like, I got to do something about this. I'm like, I'm going to have to try, you know, using a swivel or something. And so that's where that all started. And then what size of swivel are you using? Because I, I think I remember you pointing that out specifically because you said that it helps create that subsurface, um, you know, the presentation as opposed to, because I know, especially if you're using like Zoom flukes, they like to ride right at the top a lot of times and it's, it takes a while to get them down. Um, what size of uh, swivel are you using to kind of get that subsurface effect? Well, it depends on how far you want it to go, but... Uh... I've been pretty partial to the size four recently. It takes it down sometimes, you know, a foot and a half to two feet. Is It's a slow sinking uh, mm -hmm. lure. And I mean, it's just a little twitch and it just sort of just pauses it level, you know, and fish eat that thing up. It's, it's just incredible. I've never used a, a bait like that for smallmouth before until 2006. And I got, I wish I would have known about this presentation, you know, 20 or 30 years ago would have saved me a, a lot more uh, time and searching for, uh, for, the, for the ultimate lure. So far, it's, a, it's the best thing I've ever thrown for smallmouth. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Yeah. Yeah, I always hear everybody throwing flukes and stuff like that never on a zulu rig but i've heard like a bunch of different 
like unique presentations of the fluke. And I'm like, man, I need to try that. Throw it behind like some big rock or something like that. Somewhere it has like calm water. Yeah. Well, Gussie on the, uh, the Bassmasters this last weekend won with a four inch Z man uh, shads. And he was <laughs> the only one catching smallmouth. Um, and he, he won the whole tournament just catching smallmouth. And he was using it more or less with a uh, lead headed jig. And, and just dropping it vertically straight down and, and just sort of slow trolling it and just sort of like ice fishing it really slow in some deep holes. And that's how he, uh, he won the tournament this last weekend. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> Better take note, Brad, for Dale Hollow. Oh, I know, man. I've, <laughs> I've actually never thrown a fluke or any. Well, I take that back. I've thrown the caffeine shad and I've caught, an, I caught a fish on that. But I, I've never been consistent with it. One of my best days at Kaiser Lake was actually on the caffeine shad, the KVD ones. Mm -hmm. um, we caught like 50 or 60 largemouth right off the, that, you know, where the campsites are on against the, on the water right there. And it's mm -hmm. got that little dirt peninsula where the creek flows in. Yeah. We were straight out from there, dude. And um, we tore it up, man. Like right in the evening time, just throwing caffeine shad. Like I walked out like maybe 10 yards out in the water and we just, lit it up man i mean we went through probably like 20 or 30 of them in a matter of like three or four hours <laughs> well see that's the thing i can only i could just use one of those yeah. uh yeah zulus that's why I, I hate when people say they use flukes and i'm like why would you use a zoom fluke if you could use a z-man shads where you could catch 100 instead of 10. right yeah. right i mean and even though and they're a little bit more pricey but when in the long run you're you're a pack of them is lasting for a season, you know, as opposed mm -hmm. to, like I said, using a caffeine shad and going through like 20, 30, 40 baits, like in no time, like, you know, every time one of those, it, uh, now, mind you, we were getting a lot of a uh, tear throughs on the nose, Mike, like you were saying, you know, a little bit of super glue could have probably fixed that. Mm -hmm. um, but still, I mean, the durability is Z man, their products is just unmatched right now. And yep. so, and they get better as they get used. I mean, the more they get used, the the more uh, the better they they look and and act in the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the same goes with the uh, TRD Ned rig and everything. It, just the softer they get after getting bit, so many times they just sway back and forth real nice. Yeah, but mm, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, I wanted to. Uh, um, You've got a handle, and I think it's is it maybe your Instagram? It's Quitico Mike. You want to explain where you can get that name from? Well, I get the uh, the Quitico part from um, the provincial park I go to up in Canada. It's uh, right above uh, Minnesota. If you go up towards like if it's like halfway in between International Falls and uh, Thunder Bay on the Canada side, and uh, Mike is obviously my first name. That uh, that Quetico area, uh, Boundary Waters, and all that stuff is that probably your favorite area to fish for smallmouth anywhere? Oh yeah, it's it's God's country up there. It's it's the most beautiful place in the world. Well, pretty much. Well, I mean, to me, it is. But I mean, the only place I've ever seen that even looks better maybe is maybe Glacier National Park in uh, Montana. But uh, mm -hmm. as far as the smallmouth fishing, it's just unreal up there. It's a bucket list spot for me. I'd love to get up there someday. What's the biggest smallmouth you pulled from up there? Uh, 23 inches. 
Nice. Wow. <laughs> did you did you get to weigh it? No, I didn't have a scale. I just, you know, quick measurement, picture, mm -hmm. back in the water it went. And it was you, it, go, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. No, you're right. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it, it we were fishing some uh gravelly uh I guess it's some some spawning areas, but they weren't coming in to spawn just yet. You know, the, the females mm -hmm. were out there cruising around the uh the outer edges probably in eight or ten feet and we were sitting practically right on the bank in the canoe and uh, I hooked into this thing and it, it pulled the canoe out probably about 10 or 15 yards just right off. I mean, there's two guys in a canoe and pulled us right off the shoreline. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. See, that's the thing I love about kayaks and canoes and stuff, man. You just, you get taken for a ride when you hook into a big fish. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, um, it's probably, it's probably easier to land a fish that way or tire it out more than, being stationary yeah. somewhere yeah, yeah. It, speaking of boundary waters how, how easy is it to carry a uh, kayak out out there if somebody were to go not not easy that's why it's called the boundary waters canoe area not the boundary waters kayak area <laughs> but I uh I've, I've you know i've seen some some kayaks in, in, you know around the the edges of the boundary waters but you know mm -hmm. once you if you went deep on in I mean, you have to carry those things for miles and, you know, and you have to have all your supplies you got to carry with yourself, you know, too. And so I've never kayaked up there. I've, you know, I don't see a whole lot of people kayaking up there, but you do see some around the edges. But to get deep into the woods, it's it's easier just to go with another person. Well, actually, you can do it, take a solo canoe, too. I've seen several mm -hmm. solo canoes out there, but, but uh, the best mode of transportation is definitely uh a two-man, you know, tandem canoe. I mean, when you have two backpacks, a food pack, uh, you know, all your fishing gear, whatever, you know, it's just, it's nice to have all that room to be able to carry all that stuff with you when you travel 30 or 40 miles. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize it was that far through the woods. Yeah, well, man, you ain't, you ain't taking a fully rigged Hobie out there. <laughs> oh, I knew that. I was just saying, you know, maybe for, like a 50-pound, 60-pound kayak or something, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Now you could you could get to some of the bigger lakes along the uh, the border, you know, and and just mm -hmm. you could kayak all through there and not have to carry the the kayak more than a few times, and you might be into doing you know well there. But uh, if you wanted to get deep into the woods, it's probably best that you take a canoe. I mean, like our standard trip up into Quetico, we would try to do like twenty five some miles the first day and get most of that out of the way and then do another 10 miles the next day and then set up camp and stay there on some remote lake all to yourself for like a week mm -hmm. yeah. and then work your way back down later i mean we have a little lake up there we like to hit up and uh we catch a ton of you know the two and a half the three and a half pound smallmouth and i mean you <laughs> catch so many you're you're, you're you have to put something over your thumb because your thumbs are bleeding from you know <laughs> lipping so many smallmouth. That's and awesome. then you work your way you work your way back down to some of the bigger lakes along the border, and that's where you're gonna find your trophy fish. You're not gonna catch as many fish, but mm -hmm. you can catch a trophy fish. I mean, I've caught my four biggest fish out of one lake up there, and it's a it's a border lake on the Canadian side, but uh a 45 inch northern, a 23 wow. inch smallmouth, a 32 inch walleye, 
all came out of the same uh, the same bay. That's awesome. So, well, I, or have you been itching to get back because of the whole COVID thing and the border being shut down? Yeah. Uh, I can't, I can't go into details of how bad it hurts not to be able to go this uh, <laughs> last year. And, and then this year, you know, it's pretty much, <clears throat> it's not going to happen this year either. I doubt it. I mean, to enter into Canada, I had to get a remote area border crossing permit so I could get into Quetico Provincial Park. And they called me up this year because last year I already paid for my remote area border crossing permit that I could not use. It's mm -hmm. basically going through the woods without having to go through customs. Right. So, so you, you fill out the paperwork and then each year they, they send you a, a, a permit that you could pass through the woods in between International Falls and uh, Thunder Bay. And, and you could cross anywhere out in the woods that way if you had this piece of paper with you. But uh, they revoked them for uh, this year. They just said they would just send me my refund from last year. And that chances are, well, they pretty much said it wasn't going to happen this year. So mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll end up uh, opening up uh, next year. I, I mean, I'm sure they're probably going to want everybody to have vaccinations to get across the border now too. So right. you'll probably need vac vac vaccination paperwork along with some type of, you know, remote area border crossing permit and then your camping permit and then your fishing license. And then you also have to have an, an outdoor card now to get your fishing license. So, I mean, there is some paperwork that you have to go through, but uh, once, you know, once you get used to going through all that, it's pretty easy. Yeah, mm. that's crazy. But, I, I, that never even on, crossed my mind. On the on the Boundary Water side, I mean, I'm, that's where I'm, I'm going to go up and spend a couple weeks up there uh, this year, at least a couple weeks. I mean, the first trip's going to be two weeks. Um, I'm going to probably do another trip for at least another week by myself. I usually go on a, a solo trip out in the woods by myself uh, each year for seven or eight days. But uh <laughs> Um, the permits for the, for there are easy, pretty easy to come by. I mean, a lot of the good entry points go quickly at the beginning of the year, but I, the the area that I go to has you know, like fourteen uh, entries, you know, fourteen groups a day that can allow go through there. So there's there's usually an extra permit available for me when I need one, as long as I don't have to, you know, go in on a Friday or Saturday. Yeah, and right. it's it's a lot cheaper on the American side. It's only like twenty six dollars to camp for as long as you want. Wow! On the uh, yeah, and on the Canadian side, it's uh, like twenty two dollars a day or nine oh. or whatever, however oh. you want to put it. So yeah, there's there's a little difference, and that's probably why you, there's less people over there, and maybe that's why the fishing's a, a tad better too. Yeah, yeah, they probably got better regulations than we do here, also. <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's no live bait allowed in Quetico, and no barbs on your hooks allowed there either. Mm, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Does so, that make it a little bit harder to hook into fish? Without the barbs? Yeah, or at least keep them pinned? Yeah, it's, it, it makes it a little more challenging, that's for sure. You, you know, you've seen a smallmouth come flying out of the water before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So when I think of smallmouth fishing, I think of deep lakes. What what are these lakes up there deep? What kind of what like what what's the habitat? Oh yeah, there, there's one lake that we travel up like I do on my first day. It's um, say it's like fourteen or fifteen miles long, and mm -hmm. it's probably about four hundred feet deep at wow. its deepest point. I, yeah, the water's very cold there in May. 
Yeah, yeah, I can I mean, imagine. I've, I've actually seen uh, like snow and ice on the what would that be? Be heading north on the east side of the of the lake as I'm traveling up the lake. There's still be like frozen waterfalls and snow piled up along the edges over there. And and if you needed a cold drink, all you do is just dip your cup over the side of the canoe and drink. <laughs> the water's great. that clean. Yeah, that clean and that cold. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's what, cleanest, that, some of the cleanest lakes in North America, that's for sure. I believe it. There's nobody around to pollute it. <laughs> no. It's not like the Great Miami. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd ever drink out of the Great Miami unless I had a really good filter. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Uh, that's disgusting. <laughs> now, uh, Mike, what, for anybody who's interested in taking a trip like this, um, what are some of the most important things that you think that somebody needs to make sure that they're pack, you know, they're packing for a trip like this, uh, for a trip to Quetico? Yeah. Or the boundary waters where you're going to spend some yeah. time out, out in the wilderness like that. What, what all is involved with the gear wise? Yeah, yeah. What do you think like some of the most important things that people need to consider outside their fishing stuff? A tent. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A good quality tent. And uh, rain gear is worth a million dollars out there. Mm -hmm. You have to have quality rain gear. I've seen too many people go through cheap rain gear and just be miserable. I've been miserable out there before where I'd, you know, I'd spend a million dollars for a good rain suit at certain times when you're just getting poured on. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I got back from one trip after about freezing to death and, and getting rained on, I I opened up the the uh, Cabela's catalog and picked out the most expensive rain suit there was in there and bought it. Uh, it, was, it was worth the price of gold. And hmm. it was a quality rain suit that I used for like 15 years. And I just finally got a, a, a new one. But yeah, a rain suit's key. You know, you're looking at getting some type of stove, you know, propane stoves. I mean, you can cook on fires up there if there's not a fire ban, but you, it's it's easier and cleaner to cook on a, like a little propane stove. Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at like water filters, like I mentioned earlier. You'd want to you want a water filter because a lot of times you'll be getting water from the edges of the shoreline, and unless you're going out in the middle of the lakes and and, and scooping up water, if you need to get water close to shore or whatever. I mean, there are beaver around and you get Girardia, the, the disease from mm -hmm. beaver fever, whatever you want to call it. And you don't want to get any of that. So you want to kill off all of that, uh, all those nasty bacteria and, and whatever else is floating around in the water there along the edges. But uh, um, let's see, tent, sleeping bag, sleeping pad, uh, uh, waterproof uh, stuff bag for your clothes and mm -hmm. waterproof stuff bag for your sleeping bag you want everything to be waterproof and then a good quality food pack i got an insulated food pack and uh it's got a zipper on the top it's it's best to have a zipper on top of there because you never know what kind of animals like to get into your food i've lost too many 
too many uh, trail mix and snacks where little chipmunks or squirrels or whatever. It's <laughs> it's not the big bears that get you. It's the little bears that get inside your food bag or mice or whatever. Yeah. So now everything is, is in Tupperware, inside baggies, inside Tupperware, and then the Tupperware is inside the food pack. So, I mean, there's a, a whole list of, of things. And, I mean, you can find the stuff online of what's required or what you should what you should take along. But yeah. uh, that's some of the things. Heck, yeah. You ever have any encounters with a, a bear or anything while you're out there? Yeah, a couple of years ago, I had one walk right through my camp while I was up there by myself. I was underneath the tarp, and uh, I was just finishing eating lunch, and I was walking towards the lake with my uh, with my pail or my whatever you want to call it uh, from what I was just eating out of. And I walked past my tent, and I look over the side, and I can see the back end of a bear just right behind my tent. He just because my the back of my tent is so close to uh, the lake where they could just crawl up um, he just came right up off out of the lake and walked right up in the camp and he was sitting right behind my tent and I was like oh no, I knew what that was and so I started <laughs> to head back towards my tarp because I had my food pack under there and I got around by the time I got around to the other side of the tent I could see him staring at me and he's probably about 15 feet away I picked up the food pack and walked briskly towards the canoe because I figured if anything was going to happen, I was going to whip that food pack into the canoe and take off paddling and get the hell out of there. Yeah. But, uh, so I got the food pack down to the, to the canoe and got it in there. And then I went back up, grabbed my paddle and went back into camp to see what that bear was doing. And he was underneath my tarp right where I was just eating just, you know, five minutes ago. He was just had his nose up into the top of the tarp, just sniffing away, just smelling whatever I was cooking. And, huh. you know, I started yelling at him, you know, like, 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 a, at a, like I was yelling at a dog, you know, I was yelling at him to get, you know, and waving <laughs> my paddle around like I was going to take him on with my paddle. And uh, he really didn't care about me, didn't he? You know, he just moseyed around. And then finally, he just uh, took off uh, down the trail back behind the back of the side of the camp back towards the. Uh, on, well, on the American side, they have a a, a fiberglass uh, toilet back there. Um, mm -hmm. On the Canadian side, you have to dig your own little holes when you got to go. But that's one good thing about uh, the American campsites. They always have a uh, fiberglass uh, crapper back behind camp, which is kind of <laughs> convenient. And yeah. so anyways, he, he went down the crapper trail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> Yeah, and the bad thing was about 10 minutes after that, I had to use the facilities, and I had to figure, was I going to paddle to another campsite somewhere or go back there and, and do, take care of my business? And yeah. I, ended up, well, I ended up, yeah, I ended up walking back the there. Out of you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, yeah, that's, that's one of my bear stories. I've had, I've had several encounters. That's funny. You had to dig your own hole on the... <laughs> On the United States side, <laughs> no, you dig your I buried my underwear side. too. Yeah. yeah. What, what was that? I buried I said, my underwear. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. I, I was just going to say that you have to dig holes on the Canadian side and the American side. They have the fiberglass crappers. So that's. <laughs> that's but uh, 
the uh, on the Canadian side, you can camp wherever you want. But I mean, there's mostly established campsites around, but uh, there's no fire grate or anything. The American side has a fire grate and they have the crapper. And that's that's the difference. Be- and they're established campsites where you can only camp there. You can't just camp wherever you want. But over on the Canadian side, if you need to camp somewhere and you can put a tent down, you can you can camp there. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh, I think I want to get into this next segment because this is what I, I, I kind of f- uh, found out who you were through your your writing, and I don't remember who published it for you or not. But uh, you wrote a story about your uh, experience uh, up at the Boundary Waters during nine eleven, and while I read this story, I, I just got chills. I thought it was one of the coolest stories I've read. So let's go into that a bit, little bit. Let's just. Uh, just share the story, if you will. Well, this this story will be published this year in the uh, the fall edition of the Boundary Waters Journal, the uh, magazine I write for. It's the 20th year uh, anniversary of 9-11. And uh, basically, it's the, uh, the story about my first solo trip up into uh, Canada. I was supposed to go with somebody else, and they, they backed out on me the... Uh, the night before I was leaving. So I had like 14 hours before I was leaving and the guy backs out on me mm. and, you know, and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know? And the guy says, well, you should just cancel. You've been up there enough times. You don't need to go again. And I'm like, he didn't understand it. You know, he just, he doesn't understand you know, how much I love going to Quetico. So I just ended up just packing everything up and taking my canoe up there. And I just went on the trip by myself. And so I went up there. It's, I think I went in on, nine nine of oh one and went out there and, and basically uh set up camp by myself you know and i probably went about seven or eight miles deep into the woods and ended up staying there the whole time because the fishing was fantastic but uh you know i was killing the smallmouth just on the other side of this island i was staying at on top water throwing big lucky 13s or like a big popper chugger bait and a bullfrog color and they were just slamming that off the off the surface also caught the biggest pike in my life at, during that trip. I uh, caught a 43-inch northern pike uh, on the point. The only, the only problem was is that I ran out of film taking pictures of smallmouth. And this was back in the day when you had disposable cameras. You know, this, mm-hmm. there's no digitals, uh, you know, taking pictures with your phone or whatever. This was just a plastic camera. And uh, I ran out of film and I ended up catching this 43 inch pike and there I am standing there with this 43 inch pike. Nobody around to see it. Nope. No, no camera to take a picture of it. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it was great catching it, but it, I mean, all I could do is just tell stories. I don't have any pictures or anything of it now, but anyways, hey, we, uh, we, so, we, go ahead. We believe you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, so we I, have you seen your pictures? I believe it. <laughs> all right. So, so I'm out there. And I, I stay on that island for like five days, and then I move further back closer to the border. And and uh, like on the, it must have been nine twelve. I ran into some people. Actually, nine eleven was the day I caught that forty three inch pike. You know, and I, there's no news feed out there, and I'm not seeing anybody. And I've I talked to a couple people, and they, they probably had no idea that nine eleven happened either. But uh, the second to last day on, it was like on nine fourteen. I ran across some people who were coming into the park as I was working my way back towards the border. And it must've been their first trip in because they were all giddy about being able to carry all their stuff across the first trail. 
and they never once mentioned anything about 9-11. So I still didn't know anything about it. And I was paddling in on the, uh, the last morning and, uh, it was a really hazy, you know, foggy morning, barely see when I got to the border and one side's Canada, one side's America and both the flags are flying at half mass. And I'm like, wow, somebody important must really, you know, must've died, you know, to have mm-hmm. both, both sides of the border flying their flags at half mass. And so I, I carry my stuff up the trail to the, uh, to the, the American side of the border and, I'm waiting on a towboat uh, from the outfitter to come pick me up and tow me back about 15 miles back to the outfitters. So I get my car, take a shower, whatever, and go home. And while I'm standing there, there's some kid from Wisconsin there and his father just went down to the, to the ranger station to get his permits. And um, he starts talking to me about fishing, you know, we ask me questions about fishing. And then he just sort of stops me in the middle of the sentence. And he goes, because you don't know what's going on in the world, do you? And I'm like, no, uh, what's going on? And he goes, because there's there's a plane that flew into the the World Trade Center, and I'm like I'm like wow. I said I said did anybody get hurt? And he goes he he just looks at me. He goes you don't understand. He goes the whole the whole trade center is gone. And I'm like what? And he goes yeah. And another plane flew into the other World Trade Center, and and it's gone now too. And I'm like oh god, you know I'm I'm freaking out. I'm like what are you you know? And then he goes another one hit the Pentagon, and I'm like you got to be kidding me. I'm like. And then he goes, yeah, and one more was headed towards the White House, but it crashed in a, in a field in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell happened to this world? And I had no idea what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. this is 9-15. This happened four days ago. And I had no idea that 9-11 happened. And I used to tell people when we we're out there in the woods, I go, World War III could, could start up, and we'd have no idea why we're out here. I have no idea. Right. And so – I didn't find out about 9-11 until 9-15 from some kid from Wisconsin who was standing on the border with me talking about fishing. And then I got back to the Outfitters, and there's a couple guys from Cincinnati there, and they were trying to figure out how they were going to get back because they flew up there, and mm-hmm. all, you know, all the planes were, were not flying. You know, They are all canceled. I, I offered to give them both a ride back to, back to Ohio. I'm like, you know, complete strangers, but you know, they're complete strangers to me too, and I'm like, yeah, throw your stuff in my truck. Let's go. And then they they declined. They said, no, we're just going to end up renting a car, I guess. And then they were going to travel home. And I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, I was just willing to help out, give you a thousand mile lift home. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the story in a nutshell. But if, if you want to read the full story, get a, get a copy of the Boundary Waters Journal, you know, uh, fall edition. I also have another article coming out and uh, what the, uh, about three weeks, I did an article on uh, wake bait fishing up there. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah that's, I that's... Started u- Go ahead. I was going to say, I just started using wake baits. Uh, I took one up there with me uh, on my last trip. I never used a wake bait before, but, I, you know, the only time I've ever seen anybody ever use a wake bait was on TV. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I bought the wake bait was because it had a bigger profile, and I thought I could use it as a crankbait in a river. I Hold on yeah. just a second. Um, I got a uh, low power mode on my, on my telephone right now. So okay, I'm down well, to 20% on the phone. Okay. okay. Yeah. We're, we're probably not going to be th- much longer. Back to the but... story about the wake bait. I, I, okay. So, uh, I, I ordered a swake bait to fish in the river because I figured I could use it as a crankbait because if you crank a wake bait hard enough, it'll go down about 18 you know inches or so. So I, and I'm like, cause I've been using these shallow running uh, KVD 1.5s, which are nice, but they're not huge. 
And so I'm just looking for a bigger profile bait. One, you know, would work in the river. I mean, I'm not fishing more than two or three feet of the river at a time anyway. So I figured I started thinking, you know what, this wake bait might be a great crankbait for me. So I buy that and, and, and I buy a bunch of lures for going up to Quetico and whatnot. And I'm putting all, you know, all the baits into my tackle box. And I looked over at that wake bait and I said, well, I thought to myself, why wait to get back and try that in the river? Why not just throw it? I, you know, I had room in my tackle box, throw it in the tackle box and, you know, maybe give it a try and see what the wake bait is all about. And so uh, I took it on up there and we started uh, doing some top water fishing by some waterfalls and, uh, we were catching some fish, but we weren't get, getting, you know, as much action as I would have liked. And so I figured, you know, what the heck, I'd give this wake bait a try. And big smallmouth just started slamming it. And four out of five of the biggest smallmouth that I caught on the last trip, I caught one on a Zulu brig, was in the top five. But the top three were, were definitely all on the wake bait. And they were just, it was just, it was addictive just watching that thing, just tantalizingly slow. Reel that thing as slow as you possibly could. And it would just wiggle and make a big wake. And, it, and you could just, and it's so quiet up there. You could hear the rattle from, you know, 25 yards away. You could hear, it, and it sounded like a locomotive, little chug, 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 yeah. chugging along. And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just explosion, just huge yeah. small mouths. So, so awesome. yeah, so I, so I was like, well, I should write an article about that when I get home. I mean, people, should, you know, <laughs> it's like one of the most overlooked topwater that mm -hmm. I, cause I've been overlooking it for 30 years or whatever, and I've never seen anybody throw it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it was just, it worked fantastic. So I'm like, when I brought it back, I came back, uh, in September and started fishing the river with it. I started slamming some big smallmouth out of the river with that thing. And I went, I didn't have to use it as a crankbait. They were coming up and just slamming the hell out of it. Like they were up in Canada. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, you're you're a local guy like us. Me and Josh is from Dayton, by the way. Um, there's a local guy that makes wake baits. He hand carves them. Witty Outdoors. I don't know if you heard of them, but he makes them. They're really nice. They're expensive, but they're really nice. And I want to throw one of those this year. Yeah, I I know who he is. I've 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 seen some of his videos before. Yeah. Yeah. Have you tried he, Have you tried a spy bait yet up there? No, I have not. I should I've give it a whirl, man. Or do, do they have like propellers on the front and the back? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, it's kind of looks like um, a little bit of a thinner profile jerk bait, like a hard jerk bait, and it's got a um, propeller on the front and back. And um, it's kind of a, it's. <clears throat> I don't want to say it's new. It's not new, but it's kind of gaining a little bit more popularity lately. And I know that um, there's a lot of guys that have done real well doing spy baits up at Saint Clair and um, mm -hmm. some of those. Um, areas that you know you can if you're kind of having trouble getting them to kind of commit they don't they don't the fish from what i understand they don't they're not traveling real far like they you know to come strike it like maybe like a crankbait or something but um it's from what i understand it's a pretty good bait maybe give that shot up there and see how you do it's like a devil's horse right have you ever used like a, a devil's horse uh-uh uh -uh. <clears throat> it's it's maybe you guys aren't old enough <laughs> uh, but uh that, that's a lure that had it has two prop baits on it and um it's that it sounds a lot like the spy bait it's just it, it was called a devil's horse yeah so mm. you know google it sometime and but uh, definitely they also um made one with a uh 
a spook. Is there a spook and a bullfrog where they were putting propellers mm -hmm. on the front and back? I, I, I can't remember what they were calling it, but I ended up taking the propeller off the front and just using it like a big, uh, uh, just a single prop bait and, and started yeah. using it that way because the Magnum, uh, torpedo up there, I've, I've killed on them. And it's basically now everybody's using the whopper ploppers now, but, uh, before that it was always the torpedo and I, for whatever reason, I, I still do pretty good throwing the torpedoes, the bullfrog torpedoes up there and, yeah. and in the river at times. Yeah. I remember using that over at Siege Creek on the tailwaters and got, had one of my funnest days, uh, topwater fishing down there using the, uh, the torpedo. I'm going to pull the devil's horse up real quick, just for people who are watching. So here it is right here. Nice. Yeah. I've seen those before. Does it have two, two blades on it? Propellers or whatever yeah. props? Yep. Yeah, it's it's basically a spy bait. That's probably where the spy bait originated from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that thing's that thing's been around before I was born, probably. So I mean it's probably been around for fifty years. So but yeah, That's now they just they just renamed it, you know. Yeah. Basically, you know, like a like a like a whopper plopper, all it basically is is a torpedo, except it's it's not a metal blade on the back. And right. Yeah, not a whole lot different. Marketing marketing uh hype that's what it is <laughs> yeah well yeah, all that's... that whopper plopper stuff came from musky fishermen you know that guy uh was you know making those to fish for musky and it, they did they found out that these big five and six pound smallmouth were hitting these musky baits and i think the hmm. only reason they sell them smaller is because they don't want to intimidate smallmouth fishermen thinking oh my god that's way too big to be yeah. thrown but i mean that's how you catch a monster you throw a monster bait Right. Yeah. I know guys that are throwing the, uh, one, is it the one thirty plopper on the river and they catch fish with yeah. it. Sure. So, yeah, I'm one of those guys. I don't really throw the bigger one. I throw the 90 or the one ten. I think, but well, I need to I throw the bigger one. Get, I started throwing, uh, I took up the, the seven inch, uh, streak Z, which is basically a, a seven inch, uh, Z man shads, you know, but, it's just two inches longer and it, you know, looks a lot bigger. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to catch monsters with this thing. First fish I catch is probably about a 14 inch small mouth. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing a seven inch, you know, uh, soft plastic jerk bait. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to catch, you know, a six pound small mouth and the first fish it hits 14 inches. So, I mean, I mean, I guess if you, if you throw out a 10 inch one, maybe you get a 20 inch small mouth, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that's what i gotta do i haven't breaking broke that 20 inch mark yet mm. <laughs> cool right, i think we're gonna wind this down man i, I don't want his battery to die on us so yeah i got 12 i got 12 percent. so i mean you probably got a good five minutes if you want to go for it <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll, we'll not risk it but yeah, right. um yeah you got anything else josh Nope. Mike, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us tonight, man. Uh, I look forward to following you, you know, further into this, man. It's, it's fun seeing your pictures that you bring back from the, the boundary waters. And I, I wish you success up there this year, man. And sorry, I can't get over to Canada yet, but hopefully that'll lift soon. I can see Canada from where we're at. I just can't go over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you, you want to, um, let people know where they can follow you or where they can find your, uh, uh, writing and stuff. Well, um, to find my writing, you know, 
check out the Boundary Waters Journal. You can find them online at boundarywatersjournal.com. You know, and like I said, I'll have an article about wake bait fishing in the spring. And in the fall, you can read about my uh, 9-11 adventure. So, um, and if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at Quetico Mike. Uh, it's Q-U-E-T-I-C-O-M-I-K-E. You know, if you want to see images of uh, some of the bigger smallmouth that I catch up there or in the Great Miami River, go to Quetico Mike and follow me. And, uh, and I guess if you, if you just want to Google Quetico Mike, you can find images in, in that manner if you wanted to as well. Awesome. Yeah, highly suggest you guys go follow, follow Mike on Instagram. One of my favorite uh, accounts to follow, man. I'm a big fan. It's awesome. So we'll end that there, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on, uh, listeners. We'll see you guys next week, and you guys have a good one. Thanks for having Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Buck and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water shout out to rocktown adventures located in northern illinois for all your kayaking camping and hiking needs shout out to jig masters jigs when in doubt get the jig out go to jigmasters.com 